Well, I touched on this a little earlier in the show when it came to food prices, but I wanted to take a broader look at those new inflation numbers from StatsCan today. Overall, the cost of living, or at least the consumer price index, rose 5.7% in February from a year earlier. That's up from 5.1% uh, the month before. That is high. So is there any light at the end of the tunnel and what is driving it? Joining me now is Trevor Toome, professor of economics at the University of Calgary and a research fellow at the School of Public Policy. Trevor, thanks for being here tonight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, any surprises in what we what we saw today from uh, on the inflation numbers? No, I think we have been expecting that inflation would be rising, if only because of oil prices continuing their upward trend that we've seen now month after month for quite some time. That matters for inflation because it affects directly gasoline and home heating costs. And those are the two single kind of largest contributors to the high inflation that we've been seeing. And then in addition, we have home prices rising, continuing to increase month after month. And that matters for inflation as well, because it affects what we estimate overall shelter costs to be. So I think the expectation in the short term is that we're going to continue to see these, these trends, but hopefully later on in this year, further increases in real estate and global oil prices do not continue. And so they then bring inflation back down to a normal level. Um. This is down to just a few things, though, right? It's not across the board. I know some things actually didn't go up that much, um, you know, but it is there is a psychological element to this. But you've narrowed it down to a few key elements that are really driving these numbers. Yeah. If we look at gasoline, home heating, and then the, the measured shelter costs, as I noted, those are the biggest drivers behind the higher inflation. But that isn't to say that prices aren't rising in, in other areas. Uh, food uh, is an area that receives a lot of attention, rightly so. And it's increasingly a factor behind these high inflation rates. And really, that's primarily because of rising meat uh, prices and uh, to a lesser extent now dairy products and, and milk, for example. Um, if we look at all of the items in what Statistics Canada releases in their consumer price index, roughly two out of three of them are experiencing price increases now above 3%. So it is fairly broad-based, even though the big, big factors uh, can be narrowed down just to a couple items. For most of us, some of us remember the 80s um, and a back at a time when inflation was something that we talked about, but it's an awfully long time since we talked about that kind of uh, broad-based increase in the consumer price index, is it not? It is. You have to go back quite some time, basically a generation. So the last time we saw uh, inflation rates, like we saw today, 5.7%, that's the largest since August of 1991, when inflation then was about 6%. Things are quite different now, though, in, in that the inflation that we're seeing really is driven by a couple specific items, at, and, and these are behaving in ways that are really unprecedented historically. So I certainly um, can't remember and can't find in the data the last time we saw such sharp and sudden increases in, in home prices, for example, and, and oil markets just globally have been you know, on, on a really incredibly large uh, upward trajectory here since, um, since last year, largely because of a, a stronger recovery from COVID. And then, of course, more recently, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Was the invasion, have we seen that in these numbers yet or are those still to come? 
So they're partly in these numbers. So what we have from StatCan today is February. And the innovation did take place there at the end of February, leading to increases, pretty sudden increases in oil prices and gasoline prices. So that's partially reflected here. I think the bulk of it is going to be showing up once we get the March numbers in about four weeks' time. We've also seen an outbreak of COVID, uh, at least numbers we hadn't seen at all during the pandemic in China being such an important part of the supply chain. Any concerns there that we've had, we'll have yet another shock that might start to drive up prices even further or CPI even further? Yeah, certainly something important to watch. I mean, China is such a large supplier of, in particular, manufactured goods, so parts used by producers throughout the world. And, and the thing about global supply chains now is that a shock anywhere really ripples through the world. And we've seen this time and again when important producers of uh, inputs to others receive a shock. I'm thinking about the the tsunami in Japan, I guess now about a decade ago. That had huge implications for automakers everywhere in the world. And I think if, uh, depending on how things go in China, yeah, that's that's definitely a, a source of concern. I think right now, though, some of the supply chain bottlenecks that we're seeing are very much related to people buying a lot more stuff, a lot more goods, and traffic at ports are way higher than than historical uh, norms. I think in Vancouver right now, you're seeing container shipment volumes about 20% higher than what we saw prior to uh, the recent increase. So if there is some disruptions, you know, maybe the short term is um, not such a large implication because there are already these backlogs, you know, in terms of our ability to get things through the ports. And so I guess um, it'll ultimately depend on how large and how long any disruption in China lasts. You have, though, been seeing, I think, uh, what you saw, I think, was new car prices, some easing mm-hmm. uh, in supply chain pressure, which could be cause for optimism. Yeah, that, that's right. So new car prices have been one of these products that have been directly affected by some of these supply chain disruptions, and they have been leading to higher prices for those items. And that's been an important, not not an overly large one, but an important factor behind recently high rates of inflation. And we have started now to see a couple of months where that pressure is starting to dissipate. Uh, Other things are increasing, and so we're not seeing a reduction in uh, the overall Uh, rate of inflation, but the amount due to the new car uh, prices, that is easing. So that is good to see. And it might be a sign of manufacturers starting to adjust or getting their logistics, um, you know, smoothing out what we've seen over the past uh, little while now. I'm speaking with Trevor Toome, professor of economics at the University of Calgary and a research fellow at the School of Public Policy. We're talking about today's Released from StatsCan, new inflation numbers, uh, consumer price index numbers for the month of February 2022, not unexpectedly showing uh, big increases, uh, or at least high inflation for a second straight month, above 5% numbers we haven't seen in a generation, more than 30 years. When we come back, uh, you'll be hearing lots of promises from politicians, and we've already seen some moves by uh, specifically Alberta uh, to try and at least combat inflation or appear to be combating inflation. Which ones of them are good ideas and will any of them actually work? We'll get to that after this. I'm back with Trevor Toome, Professor of Economics at the University of Calgary and a research fellow at the School of Public Policy. We're talking about inflation numbers out today, not surprisingly, still at its highest rate uh, in more than 30 years. Uh, Tr- Trevor, that we've seen, we're going to see a lot of people blaming. Inflation is always a hot button issue in politics. We're going to see a lot of promises, I get the feeling, over the next little while about who exactly has the right policies and who is to blame. 
for what we're experiencing. Uh, from you, from where you sit, how, how do you assess that? So I, I think there's very limited ability of governments to affect economic outcomes in the short term, really in general. Uh, and I think for inflation specifically, just because of the drivers of it are really global oil prices that certainly a Canadian government has very little ability to influence. These are determined by external factors throughout the world. And even real estate prices, where it might seem like something that policymakers here could directly affect, you know, that's that's a difficult local government, sometimes zoning issue. You know, Vancouver and Toronto, you know, maybe opposing density. I think in Vancouver, that's a, a big factor there. But there's not much that, say, the federal government could do there since cities are not under its jurisdiction. And it's not easy for city governments to expand uh, density, lots of kind of local, interesting political dynamics that might uh, oppose that. In terms of gasoline, uh, so what we're seeing in Vancouver, uh, sorry, in Alberta here is uh, on April 1st, the government will be eliminating its provincial tax on gasoline and diesel. And, and that's really the, the biggest thing that a provincial government can do. And that's going to add up to about a 13 cent per liter uh, reduction, which is certainly not nothing, but um, is smaller than the increases that we've seen recently. So it does, I think, illustrate pretty directly how um, limited government's ability to control these things really is. There has been pressure, though, given Alberta's announcement, there has been pressure specifically on the government of BC. There's obviously a new carbon tax hike coming in federally on the first as well. There has been pressure on different levels of government Mm -hmm. to do away with these taxes while the inflationary pressures are so high. From a fiscal standpoint, is that a good idea? So there, there is a very important trade-off for governments outside of Alberta to consider, and that's the foregone revenues. Gasoline taxes are an important source of revenue to provincial governments to allow them to provide the public services that we rely on. Alberta is uniquely lucky to benefit fiscally from high oil prices. Each $1 increase in the price of a barrel of oil is worth roughly $500 million to the government of Alberta's bottom line. And so when we see oil prices in the mid 80s, for example, uh, we might see this coming fiscal year, a surplus in Alberta on the order of $8 billion. And so for it to forego revenue from a gasoline tax, uh, worth roughly, I think, $1.3 billion, uh, or so per year, it has a lot of fiscal capacity to do that. And other governments do not. And so I think that's something that um, may create pause elsewhere, and rightly so, because we've seen large increases in government debt through the pandemic, and we wouldn't want to um, amplify that challenge by lowering gasoline taxes. So a, a lower-cost alternative may be for government to provide direct support to families who need it. And that's income transfers to lower income families in particular, rather than trying to directly change the price of gasoline itself. And I imagine too, when you forego those revenues, you're also making choices. I always notice, of course, that Norway, who have a huge sovereign wealth fund built off their oil riches, the price of gasoline there is much higher than it is here. Mm-hmm. I mean, tax rates are different uh, in Europe than here, um, and, and that's always been uh, the case, and that's a big, big factor there. Um, you know, the, the interesting comparison with Norway versus Alberta is they save their resource revenues, and Alberta 
does not. And so if we did save more of our resource revenues, then we'd have a, I guess, more stable fiscal situation, but then we wouldn't be having the ability to use some of the unexpectedly uh, uh, large uh, (laughs) fiscal capacity that, that we're seeing now in recent months. As we're seeing now. Needless to say, there will be a lot of political pressure on governments uh, mm-hmm. from the population, from voters, specifically those going into election periods, uh, to do something. So, if I'm a voter, what should I be looking out for, and how should I be analyzing these promises? So, this is an important issue. You know, affordability concerns matters. How far your um, dollars of income can be stretched that that matters a lot. And so, I think we should be looking to our leaders to be honest and mature when they approach policy uh, issues like this. Some politicians really just prefer to inflame and amplify the anger and emotion rather than actually propose specific, concrete, legitimate and effective policy solutions. So I think there's a lot of options that governments can consider, lots of them uh, available, each with their own unique trade-off. And we should be demanding from our leaders that they engage productively rather than just the the classic you know, blame game that many politicians will default to. And yet it seems like it could be time after a generation of low inflation, it could be time for some interesting ideas so that, you know, following the, obviously just listening to the government line on something, regardless of what government you're listening to, uh, mightn't be such a great idea either. This is a time perhaps for some new ideas. Yeah. yeah. Although I wouldn't want to overstate how long many of these factors will, will last. What makes this different from past periods of high inflation is that it's, it's, really not something that we're yet seeing manifest itself into wage pressures or people's inflation expectations, right? I think most people, certainly most uh, investors and market participants uh, recognize that these energy price increases and and real estate price increases are short-term, they're transitory. Uh, Whereas if you look at, say, just service price inflation, which is something that's going to track wage pressures much uh, more closely there right now in February, right at 2%, right at our target level. And so I, I wouldn't want governments to overreact to short-term developments because many policy moves that they make take time to work their way through the system. And if this time next year, things are back to normal, then you wouldn't have wanted the government today to have taken big action that might derail the the path back to normal. And that's, I think, why the Bank of Canada has been pretty cautious in its approach recently. So if I hear you, this this may be something that we won't be, this mightn't be a long-term issue, given that it's being driven by by some, some quite unique factors. That is my expectation. I guess it's important to for me to unpack why I have that expectation. Uh, if you look at where futures prices are for oil, so investors right now betting on where oil prices are going to be, actually trading future deliveries of a barrel, we see that those global oil prices are falling fairly consistently through this year. By December, the current futures price for oil is $84, right? So that's quite a bit less than what we're seeing right now. And then under 80 uh, in the first half of next year. And so those declining world oil prices will appear as declines in the price of of gasoline and other energy products. And so that's going to then 
mean that important driver of recent high inflation will start to ease. And then real estate, uh, I think it's still an open question what is going on in real estate, because it's not just Canada, it's real estate markets throughout the developing world, sorry, developed world, uh, seeing incredibly large increases in inflation. And Canada is not unique uh, there, but it's hard to see how you could continue to have 20 plus percent year over year increases in real estate prices last for too much longer. I think if you're a homeowner, you kind of like to see that, but it's it's hard, I think, to understand what might drive that continued rapid pace. And so then once that eases, then that's another massive contributor to currently high rates. So yeah, by the end of the year, I do expect things to be getting much closer to normal just because of those two factors alone. I'm sure prospective home buyers will be happy to hear that. Trevor Toom, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you.